Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunday Morning with the Love and Action. I am Ken Tuck. Thank you for joining me today. I hope your day is off to a good start. Hope you've been enjoying a good weekend, and I hope you are ready to get into the Word of God this morning. You know, last week, of course, was Resurrection Sunday, and I taught on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and how he had to go through what he did to make atonement for our sins and then really dove into the the resurrection and just to celebrate, you know, what Jesus has done for us. And we need to keep celebrating, always continually celebrating our Lord and Savior and what he has done for us. And because Jesus has conquered sin, death, and Satan by rising back to life, he offers that same resurrected life, eternal life, to everybody, to you and to me, to everybody around this world. He offers eternal life through his death, burial, and resurrection. And I know many, many, many houses of God were just filled with people last week, and that's always exciting to see. It's also a little heartbreaking because I wish it was like that every week. But Easter is one of those Sundays where many people will come to church, sometimes because mama or grandmama said, come on, we're going to church, and they want to make mama and grandmama happy, so they go to church. But a lot of people heard the gospel message last week. For some, it may have been the first time they've really heard that message, or for many, it was, might be the first time in a, in a long time, maybe since last Easter, that they heard it. And I'm just praying that Word of God just sunk deep into each person's heart, and that people will realize how much we need Jesus, how much we need His salvation, and will really make that commitment to Him and live for Him and continue to, to go to the houses of worship to worship God with other believers, to learn more about God's Word, and to really get plugged in to churches that are making disciples because that's what we got to do. And it's so awesome when we do. It's just taking that first step, I know. Just take that first step, and I promise you, you won't regret it. Today we're going to talk about the proof of the resurrection because last week, like I said, a lot of people heard that message and some people may still be kind of questioning like, uh, did it really happen? And then others are just trying their best to prove that it didn't. And so today we're going to look at that, at the proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But before we do, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Abba Father, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for loving us. You loved us first. We thank you, Father, that you sent your son Jesus to show us how to live this life and how we can bring glory to you, because that's what it's about, bringing glory to our Heavenly Father, to our Creator, to the one who created us, to the one who loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins, to take our punishment. And thank you, Father, for raising Jesus back to life. And we know, Jesus, you reign and you live forever. And your arms are open wide, inviting people to come in. Come into the family of God. Come into the household of God. And the only way is through you, Jesus. So today I pray that people who are listening, that Holy Spirit, you will just convict them of that need. Convict them of their sins. And Lord, just let them see the truth. Open their eyes, Holy Spirit, to the truth of your gospel. And that, Jesus, you truly are the one and only Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of mankind. And, Lord, I just thank you for each one listening and want to lift up their needs to you, Father. You know what they are, and you know everyone who's listening right now. And just ask you to just work in each person's life. If somebody needs healing, I pray for healing. If somebody needs help in the realm of finances, I pray for that. Whatever those needs are, Lord, we lift up to you. 
And just ask you, Holy Spirit, to teach us now as we dive into your word, Father God. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to lead us into all truths. And Father, may we be doers of your word and not hearers only. And it's in your holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So last week, the resurrection message was shared all over the world. And like I said, it was a celebration, and we need to keep on celebrating Jesus always. But to some people, to non-believers, they're out there saying, well, it sounds good, but how do we know that it's true, that it all really happened? And you know what? That's a fair question to ask. And there's nothing wrong with asking that question. And today, I want to provide some proof for you. Now, there's so much more proof than what I can put into these last 25 minutes that we have together, but I'm going to do my best to give you some proof so you can chew on that and I pray see that Jesus is real and what he did really happened and that he really did come back to life. So we can start this conversation by me really just saying something very simple, and it's all the Jews and the Romans had to do was to prove that Jesus did not rise from the grave. And if they could have done that, they would have squashed Christianity right then, and we probably never would have heard of it again. Because they did kill Jesus, because they wanted to stop this movement that he had, this Jesus movement. And they thought that killing him would do that. But then they remembered something. He talked about rising from the dead. Let's look at Matthew chapter 27. I'm going to read verses 57 through 61. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was a disciple of Jesus. Now, this is after Jesus was crucified and died on the cross. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. He rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite of the tomb. So we see Jesus, he died. And he was put into this tomb, and a big stone was rolled in front of it. Well, the Jews, they started thinking, and they devised a plan to make sure that the body of Jesus didn't go anywhere because they remembered what he said. And let's read that in Matthew 27, verses 62 through 66. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard So they sealed the stone, the big stone that was rolled in front of the tomb. They sealed it, and they had a guard of soldiers protecting it, making sure it doesn't go anywhere. And the guards, they would have looked inside the tomb, make sure the body was still there, and then they would have sealed it. And sealing the stone, one thing you got to think about, that would make it impossible for anyone to enter the tomb and then merely replace the stone. So like it's sealed and nobody could roll it away and then take the body out and roll it back and act like nothing happened, you know, because it was sealed. So you couldn't do that. And I think it's interesting as we read this that the disciples, while all this was going on, uh, when Jesus was arrested, they started hiding. When he was crucified, 
died, buried, put into a, that tomb. They were hiding. They were fearful for their own lives. Their leader had just been killed. And so they were probably figuring we're next because they were leaders within this movement and they were Jesus' disciples. But the Pharisees, they evidently took the Lord's promise to rise on the third day a little bit more seriously than the disciples did. But however, they didn't believe that this resurrection was possible. And especially the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. But even though they didn't believe that this could happen, they remember him talking about it. And so they assumed that his disciples would steal the body. But their paranoia served only to strengthen the evidence for the resurrection, for their preparations to prevent the theft of Jesus' body. It merely eliminated that possibility of a plausible explanation for the empty tomb three days later could be made. Nobody could explain what happened other than Jesus rose again. So when they're planning and they're scheming to make sure nobody took the body, they actually provided the greatest evidence that Jesus did rise again because they had a guard of soldiers, so nobody was going to take that body from them. They sealed that tomb so you couldn't just open it up, take the body, and put the the stone back. Only the miraculous happened. (laughs) And Jesus rose from the grave. And I just find that fact interesting that they were so caught up in making sure his body doesn't leave with his disciples that they that what they did actually gave even more proof, more evidence to Jesus rising from the grave. So the simple fact is neither the Jews nor the Romans could prove that Jesus did not rise from the grave. That's all they had to do. They both didn't want the Jesus movement. And so all they had to do is prove that Jesus didn't rise from the grave, but they could not do that. Next, I would argue that we have all kinds of proof throughout the New Testament that Jesus rose from the grave. We have the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Of course, they all write about Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have letters in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul, from Peter, from James, and Jude. And the whole New Testament is predicated on the fact that Jesus rose from the grave, that the resurrection took place. We wouldn't have the New Testament if he didn't do that. We would just have the Old Testament. We see in the New Testament that Jesus, he's now the head of the church. The apostles and the first century Christians, they're praying to him. And if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, they wouldn't be doing any of that. Tens of thousands of people soon became followers of Jesus after his resurrection, right there in Jerusalem, right there where it was most dangerous to be a Christian. The leader had just been killed. The Messiah had just been killed. And so it was dangerous to be a Christian. But people kept believing. People kept following him. And why? Well, because first of all, it's true. (laughs) Jesus did die and rise again on the third day. But people right there in Jerusalem, they started following Jesus because there were so many witnesses to the fact of Jesus rising up from the tomb. He appeared to each one of his disciples. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. She was the first one who saw the resurrected Jesus. And then we also read that he appeared to over 500 people at one time. And let's read this out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, which means some have died. 
Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So we see this account of Jesus appearing to all these people, and even 500 at one time. And so people could ask questions, because as Paul wrote, most of these people were still alive. And so they could go and talk to them. And based on their personal testimonies, people believed and people followed, because the proof was there. And we know that tens of thousands started coming to the Lord right away. And I believe it's like in 10 years, over 100,000 people right there in Jerusalem came to faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, in Jerusalem, again, that was so dangerous. But they believed because they had proof, and it's true. And they were able to talk to all these witnesses. So now, fast forward to 2023, there's around 2.4, 2.6 billion people who profess to be Christians around this whole world, the largest religion in the world. And it all started when Jesus rose from the grave and people saw him and started sharing his gospel with others. And again, if it wasn't true, then it would have got squashed a long time ago. But we have all this proof in the Bible about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I can hear people saying, well, okay, Ken, that's in the Bible. Probably a little biased, wouldn't you think? Well, no, because it's the I believe it's the truth, and it is. But that's also a fair question for non-believers. And so it's still not enough proof. So let's look at some external proof, and there's plenty of it. And I'm just going to share just a handful of it with you. But just to show you, there's external evidence, non-Christian evidence of Jesus and of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, we have the non-Christian historical accounts of Flavius Josephus and Cornelius Tactus. Even the Jewish Sanhedrin, who corroborated the early Christian eyewitness accounts of these important historical aspects of the death of Jesus Christ. So even the, the Sanhedrin, there's proof there as well. But let's look at Josephus. He was a first century A.D. Jadul Christian historian. He was a Jew, and though his writings are really few in numbers, they are very large. And he was a very well-respected and well-read historian from the first century. One of the books he authored is The Wars of the Jews, and then he also wrote The Antiquities of the Jews, which details the history of the Jewish people from creation on the narrative in Genesis to the time of his writing, again, in first century A.D., and of course, those were the New Testament days and thereafter. And Josephus is best known, however, among Christians for his referral to Jesus and the Antiquities of the Jews, uh, which was one of the earliest pieces of historical evidence for Jesus outside of the New Testament. So again, we're talking about a non-believer. This is outside of the Bible who's writing about Jesus. I'm going to share a paragraph from the Antiquities of the Jews so you can hear it for yourselves. Josephus writes, At this time there appeared Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to refer to him as a man. For he was a doer of startling deeds, a teacher of people who received the truth with pleasure. And he gained a following, both among many Jews and among many Greek origin. He was the Messiah Christ. And when Pilate, because of an accusation made by the leading men among us, condemned him on the cross, those who had loved him previously did not cease to do so. For on the third day he appeared to them again alive, just as the divine prophets had spoken about these and countless other marvelous things about him. Up until this very day, the tribe of Christians named after him has not died out. So that's pretty strong words from a non-believer testimony about Jesus writing it in history about the Jews. 
And so you can see he had nothing to gain by making something up. But he wrote it because as a historian, you research and you find facts and you write about it. And that's what he did. Well, how about Cornelius Tactus? Well, he lived between A.D. 56 and 120. Uh, He was a Roman historian, an orator, and a politician. And he's best known for historical writings, including the Annals, Histories, and Germania. Annals is one of the earliest non-Christian sources verifying Jesus' crucifixion. Tactus also recorded the false accusation that Nero made against Christians when he blamed them for the great fire of Rome in AD 64. Now this reference, coming as it does from a non-Christian source, it really lends credibility to the fact of Jesus' existence. Again, what did he have to prove by making up something? He was a non-believer. He was a Roman But he was writing history. And again, historians, they find the facts, they write about it. He mentions Christus, which is Latin for Christ, and his execution at the command of Pontius Pilate. And of course, that reference correlates with Scripture, which states that Pilate gave in to the request of the Jews for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And although Scripture is sufficient in providing an accurate testimony to the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, The fact that a pagan Roman historian referenced Jesus' crucifixion provides further evidence to those inclined to doubt Jesus' existence. So again, another proof outside of the Bible, and this coming from a non-believing, a Roman pagan historian. Well, let's move on to modern day and how people have tried to disprove the Bible and what happened there, try to disprove Jesus and what happened. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then the foundation of Christian faith would forever be destroyed, right? We wouldn't have a faith. Josh Dowell, a former agnostic and a big skeptic, spent more than 700 hours researching evidence for the resurrection. He set out to disprove it and spent 700 hours trying to figure this out. And he explains it like this. He wrote, I have come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is either one of the most heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men, or it is the most fantastic fact of history. And as he studied, he was persuaded by the evidence, and his research led him to the conviction that Jesus' resurrection is indeed the most fantastic fact of history. The beginning of his biography reads like this. As a young man, Josh McDowell considered himself an agnostic. He truly believed that Christianity was worthless. However, when challenged to intellectually examine the claims of Christianity, Josh discovered compelling, overwhelming evidence for the reliability of the Christian faith. After trusting in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, Josh's life changed dramatically as he experienced the power of God's love. That awesome. He set out to disprove Jesus, disprove the resurrection, and he ends up being a born-again believer. Another ardent skeptic was English journalist Frank Morrison, and he believed the resurrection was mythical and began researching for a book to prove that to be so. He Again, he set out to prove it didn't happen, to prove that it was a myth. However, as he examined the evidence... Morrison changed his mind, as well as the theme of his book. What was it that changed Morrison's mind? Well, evidence. 
proof. Morrison's research led him to discover the validity of the biblical recording in a moving and powerful way. His book, Who Moved the Stone, is considered now by many to be a classic apologetic on the subject of the resurrection. That's that's awesome, isn't it? Here's a man. He set out to disprove Jesus Christ, disprove the resurrection, and he ends up, through his research, writing a classic apologetic book about the resurrection. The more you dig, the more you find that Jesus is real, that his death, his burial, and his resurrection is real. And when you come to that realization, then you realize, I need this Jesus. I want him to be my Lord and my Savior. Let me mention one more skeptic, and that's Lee Strobel. And he was, Lee was a avowed atheist, and he was convinced that people created God because they were afraid of death. They just came up with this theory of, of a God because they were afraid of death and it would make them feel better as they approached death or had loved ones who would die. And the thing about Lee that I can relate to is he was a journalist and he knew how to report. He knew how to dig and find facts. And so he set out to prove that all this was a sham. And what really got him going on this was he was married and his wife befriended a Christian woman who They became friends, and they started studying the Bible together, and she ended up giving her life to Jesus. Now, that was Lee's worst nightmare, an atheist who thought Christianity was a sham, and now his wife is now a Christian. And he was like, okay, that's it. I'm going to set out, and I'm going to prove that this is just all made up, nothing Nothing's real about it. So he spent two years investigating Christianity, and he concluded that there's one central question. Did Jesus or did he not return from the dead? And Strobel, as I said, he was an avowed atheist. He really lived a hedonistic lifestyle. So he was far from being spiritual, far from having any faith in Jesus Christ. But as he concluded his research, long story short here, Lee ended up giving his life to Jesus Christ. He said, I realized it would take more faith for me to remain an atheist than to become a Christian. He added that his journey wasn't complete until he accepted for himself this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. So his verdict after two years and really a lifetime of searching was this. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, and he backed it up by rising from the dead. (laughs) Praise God. And there's stories after stories just like this. People who are intellectuals and they are dead set on proving that Jesus was false. He wasn't even a real person, or if they did think he was a real historical person, that he didn't rise from the dead. But as they dig and they find more and more proof from the Bible, but also from external sources, as Lee Strobel said, it would take more faith for him not to believe than to believe. So he found so much proof that he couldn't help but believe. And C.S. Lewis was another one. He wasn't a believer at all, and he didn't think it was real. But we all know he became one of the great Christian writers of, uh, well, I was going to say our time, but it was really a previous generation. But we still get to enjoy his writings. And, again, he was one who didn't believe. But then he did and couldn't stop writing about it and speaking about it. So my question to you is, do you believe? What's keeping you from believing in Jesus Christ? What it usually boils down to is just pride, saying, no, I've been saying all, all the time that it's not real and people are fools for thinking that it is. Don't let your pride get in the way. Jesus truly is the Son of God, 
and he truly is. He's the Messiah, and he truly came and lived a life right here on earth, did not sin, and he died for your sins and for mine. He took your punishment. He took my punishment. We deserved it, but that's how much God loves us. Jesus took that punishment for us, and when he died on that cross, they put him in that tomb, and on the third day, he most definitely arose from that tomb. He came back to life in a resurrected body to live and to reign forever. And we'll talk about his ascension back into heaven on another edition of Sunday Morning with Love and Action. But today, I want you to understand, this really happened. Historically, it really happened. Proof after proof after proof is there to show everybody. But you know what? It boils down to this, faith. The Bible says we cannot please God without faith. So we have all the proof, but will you put your faith in Jesus Christ? I encourage you to do that today. There's no greater decision that you or I can make than to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. Well, how do I do that, Ken? Well, I just encourage you just to start talking to him. He's here. You can't see him, but he's here. He's with you. And just ask him, say, Jesus, I still don't know everything there is to know. And, and friend, to tell you the truth, it's God's word. We can never know all of it. But just tell him, look, Jesus, I know I need you. I've heard the, the proof this morning, but I, I want to put my faith in you. And I believe you're real. I believe you died on that cross and was buried and on the third day rose again. I trust you and I ask you to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. I want to be right with you and I ask you to fill me with your spirit and help me day by day to live for you. He'll just talk to him. He's listening to you. He'll meet you right where you're at. There's no certain verbiage you have to say. Just talk to him. He'll save you. He'll come in. And you'll start a new life. And let me tell you, it's the best life. It's the greatest life ever. Because I've lived this life. Well, no, nobody's born saved. <laughs> you can't be born saved. You can't get into heaven on mom and dad's or your grandparents' coattails. It's a decision that we all have to come to. And if you do, you'll get to experience a whole new life. The Word of God tells us in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, that when we make this decision that we become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's that rebirth. You may have heard that expression, born again. Spiritually, we are born again at that point. And we're not automatically perfect all of a sudden, and we don't ever mess up again. Because, hey, I gave my life to Jesus back in 1987, and trust me, I have messed up a lot since 1987. But the thing is, is I can go to my Father, God, and ask him to forgive me. And I know that he will. And he'll cleanse me. And why is that? Because First John chapter 1, verse 9 tells me that. And I know that when my time here on earth is done, that I'm going to go be with him because he promises that in his word. We even see it on the, uh, the, during the crucifixion when he tells the, one of the criminals that are being crucified as well that when he asks Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom, and Jesus says, today, you'll be with me in paradise today. And so I have that confidence, not in me, but it's all in Jesus. And you too can know that, that if you give your life to Jesus now, he's your Lord, he's your Savior, live for him. And when you die, you'll, you won't have any doubts, you're going to heaven. And the other truth is that if we don't, then eternal punishment is what's waiting for us. And let me share a scripture with you. I'm going to read out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 7. 
When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flame and fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in the saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So you see, if we don't come to faith in Jesus and we deny him, the word is very clear on telling us that eternal punishment, eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord forever and ever. And I have to ask, are you okay with that? I hope you're not. I'm sure not. I want to be with Jesus forever. It's like he tells us in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We get to have eternal life with Jesus. And I pray you make that decision today to give your life to him. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at ken.tuck at loveinactionministries.com, ken.tuck, loveinactionministries.com, or call us at Love in Action. Our number is 334-494-4995. That's 334-494-4995. I'd love to hear from you. And if you make that decision to follow Jesus, I'd love to hear from you. Well, we are out of time, and I want to thank you for joining me this morning. And I pray you have a wonderful week coming up and that you'll remember all week long that Jesus loves you. And I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.